Hello, you're listening to The Daily Cast, a podcast to start the day on Kilcullen Diary. I'm Brian Byrne. It's the 21st of April 2021, and we start as usual with the weather. It's a day to smile at the sun. We're going to get a fair amount of it, it seems. A little cloud through the afternoon and then a clear, bright evening. The highest temperatures will get up to 16 degrees in light easterly breezes. Our person of interest this morning is Charlotte Bronte, novelist and poet. She was the daughter of an Irish Anglican clergyman and his English wife, born on this day in 1816 near Bradford in Yorkshire. The third of five daughters and a son, only Charlotte, Emily and Anne survived into adulthood along with their brother Branwell. Their mother died when Charlotte was five and the children were taken care of by an aunt. In 1824, the girls were sent to a school for the daughters of clergymen, but the two eldest died of TB less than a year later. Charlotte was brought home to help take care of her remaining siblings. She wrote her first known poem at the age of 13, one of more than 200 she was to write through her career. With her two sisters and brother, they produced a homemade magazine chronicling the stories of a fictional country, an activity which set all four onto a path of literary and artistic future. Charlotte became a teacher for a short time at a school where she'd completed her own education, but she didn't like it. She then became a governess in sequence to a number of families in the locality. In 1846, the three sisters self-published a collection of their poems under pseudonyms that suggested they were men. As Charlotte said afterwards, they believed that authoresses are liable to be looked on with prejudice. The collection was not a commercial success, only two copies were sold. But the young women continued to submit pieces for other publications using their pseudonyms, all with the surname Bell. Charlotte's first novel, The Professor, didn't get a publisher, but it did bring encouragement, and when she sent her second manuscript, Jane Eyre, it was accepted and published in 1847. For its time, the style was innovative in being written from an intimate first-person female perspective, although Charlotte's pen name was still Currer Bell. Jane Eyre was an immediate success and Charlotte began her second book, Shirley, early the following year. But that was also the year when both her sisters, Emily and Anne, and their brother Branwell died. TB was the primary culprit. It was another year before Shirley was completed and published. Travelling to London occasionally in connection with her publishing, Charlotte eventually revealed publicly that she was a woman author. That brought her socially into the literary circles of the time, but she was a quiet and reserved person and preferred to stay back home in Yorkshire. Her third novel, Villette, was published in 1853. Early the following year, she accepted a proposal from a curate in her father's parish. They married that same year and had their honeymoon in Banagher in County Offaly here in Ireland. On the 31st of March, 1855, she died at the age of 38 from complications in a pregnancy, having written 20 pages of a new novel, Emma. Jane Eyre is Charlotte Bronte's most important literary legacy. Its rebellious tone wasn't liked by some critics initially, but probably helped with its literary success. It remains a force in the arts today, having been adapted into theatre, film, television, operas, and ballet. Now to our feature of the day. 
According to studies, Ireland has the seventh highest gambling spend in the world, at almost 10 billion euros annually. The Labour Party believes that much of this is because of high levels of very targeted advertising by the industry. And after taking a pulse of the public on the issue, last Monday, Labour introduced a bill to ban gambling advertising. The move is spearheaded by the party's spokesperson on defence, tourism and sport, Senator Mark Wall, from a long-time political family based in Kildare South. During conversations with his own family and friends about sport, it seemed all were aware of increased level of advertising for gambling. He brought that discussion to colleagues in the Oireachtas and found they had the same feeling. Surveys reinforced the sense that there really was a problem. The outstanding response is that the amount of people who are seeing uh, too many ads and uh, in their social media, on their TV screens and through their press media, um, and it really is getting out of hand to the extent that a lot of people are saying to us that they just can't enjoy a sporting occasion anymore uh, because of the influence of the betting companies and gambling companies. So that's the that's where it came from. We decided to look at the legislation then. And then yesterday, obviously, we uh, introduced uh, the, the gambling prohibition of advertising bill 2021. With the COVID restrictions having people working from home and under lockdown, has the matter become more noticeable? There is no doubt that because a lot of us are now working from home and are spending more time maybe at our TV screens and indeed our laptops and, 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 and mobile screens as well, that we're seeing this. And obviously the gambling companies are targeting that and the fact that more people are on screens, uh, you know, because of lockdown and are not in the workplace that have increased the amount of gambling ads. So all evidence will tell you, yes, there has been an increase and it's obviously been run and targeted by uh, those involved in advertising for the gambling companies. Again, with lockdown and level five restrictions, the traditional betting shops have been closed. Has this accelerated a shift to the arguably more addictive click and bet online business? One of the major companies, gambling companies, would be well known to all your listeners, uh, probably the number one in the Irish market, that 76% of their profits now come from online gambling. So that's the, that's the figures that we have at the moment. Traditional bookie shops, uh, still important for the gambling companies, are not as important as they were previously. When you look at that the major gambling company in Ireland has a profit of 76% uh, coming from on- online gambling. And you see this lovely ads, it's a social occasion that you're with your friends and you take out your mobile phone and you're probably in a, in a pub or, or, or some uh, uh, premises like that and you're all having a laugh, etc. And that's the way it's portrayed. Uh, and, you know, in fairness to Brian, that's not the way it happens for the majority of people. Unfortunately, a lot of gambling is done in isolation and that's the people we've spoken to who've developed a gambling addiction. In many cases, you could be sitting beside a person who are on their phone or on their TV screen and they're gambling and you would never know about it. And unfortunately, we've had calls from partners who have been telling us that, and indeed the people who have been gambling have been telling us that as well, that you take it to the bedroom or you take it away and you gamble in isolation, and that is the problem. And I suppose the other issue in relation to the bookies' office, there was somewhat of a control, uh, particularly for younger people, because, as you know, you're probably an older generation that was in the bookies, and when they saw uh, a young person coming through the doors, they would probably tell their mother or father that they were there, and there was that kind of control as well in the, in the traditional bookies that's not there anymore because, as I say, the majority of gambling is now done online. In seeking to ban gambling advertising, the Labour Party is up against big financial guns, the gambling industry itself, the advertising business, the communications media which earn substantial revenue from the advertising. 
it's evident that Mark Wall and the Labour Party do have a fight on their hands. Yeah, and it's a fight worth having. Um, and basically, we, we would have had those same arguments, Brian, for, for when we looked at the tobacco industry and also the alcohol industry. And, and we all know the results that we've had there, and we need to look at those, obviously, again, and they need to be looked at ongoing. So, yes, we are going to. And we've already had a number of conversations, uh, some, uh, some very interesting conversations with actually those who are in the gambling industry. And they are actually aware of, of what they're at, which is always a good starting point. And, uh, you know, they want to work with us and, and they want to look at it. Because I suppose the big news, uh, Brian, is that since 2013, there has been the promise of what's called the Control of Gambling Bill here in Ireland. Um, the latest from Minister Brown, Minister State Brown, is that he hopes to introduce that in the third to the fourth quarter of this year. That's the overall gambling bill in, in essence and, and how we look at gambling uh, in Ireland and, and how it will portray into the future. And there's an awful lot of issues uh, out of that. I suppose one of the issues out of that is the advertising of gambling, which we have concentrated on. Uh, I think it's one page of 88 pages in that control of gambling bill. But we find that that control of or the advertising part of it is very important because it's now and it's, uh, it's influencing so many people. And since we started down this road, just I suppose to repeat again, the amount of people that have come to us to say, uh, you know, subliminally and, and, and also quite openly that they're being targeted. And it's only when they start the discussion that they're seeing that this, this gambling ads are there everywhere. What the gambling companies have done, and quite successfully done, is that they've tried to normalise gambling and sport, basically trying to tell us that you can't have, can't have one without the other. And that is obviously not true. Uh, and it's something that we're backing. So it is a battle. In addition to the monetary and addiction issues that gambling can bring, Mark Wall is also very clear that he believes the problem gambling is a mental health issue. This is definitely a public health issue that's coming uh, very strong and and increasing as well. And unfortunately, I've had a number of calls from families whose loved ones have ended up taking their own lives because of gambling debts. So there is an issue there as well. And Again, this problem is, is probably private. We don't talk enough about the gambling problems in this country. And we've been quite uh, happy with the amount of conversations that we've had since we started talking about gambling. It's got a lot of media. It's got a lot of press. And people are now talking uh, about gambling and the problems associated. And hopefully it will encourage more people to come out and talk about their problems as well. Brian. Finally, introducing a bill is one thing. Getting it through the Doyle and the Shannon into legislation is another. What kind of support has this initiative been getting amongst Mark Wall's Oroctus colleagues? Well, thankfully, Brian, I've seen support right through uh, every political party and independent group. Uh, in the Shannon, since we've come back in the new year, uh, at least four, if not five, different senators from all parties and independents have spoken on the need for urgent legislation. And indeed, a number of them have referenced uh, the amount of gambling ads. Because one of the issues here, I suppose, and uh, just to t- touch on that point, Brian, is that people are actually having to explain to their six and seven and eight-year-old children what a gambling company is because there's no watershed on gambling ads on telly. And some people who have been homeschooling their children uh, have actually found themselves turning on a TV or actually listening to a radio and actually coming across a gambling ad and their six and seven and eight-year-old child and asking what that's about. So that's way too early to expose uh, children to any sort of gambling. And, and the ads are, are the way that they're being exposed. And thankfully, as I say, there has been a lot of cross-party support a lot of, of, of senators, indeed, I, I've watched some proceedings in the Dáil as well, where there has been a lot of talk about gambling and the need for urgent legislation. So I would think, and, and the support I've got so far, is that there is a lot of support. And, and you know, from the public as well, which is all important as well, uh, you know, they are very much behind 
the, reduction, the reduction in the gambling ads and, and allowing them to get back to, to, to enjoying their sport again. Uh, and I think, you know, once, once we move this along, the channel that was introduced on Monday, that it will gain our support right across the political spectrum, right? Senator Mark Wall, Labour Party spokesman on defence, tourism and sport, on an uphill battle, but one he is well prepared to fight. Now, some quick picks from this week's local papers. In the Leinster Leader, we see that drones are being used by Transport Infrastructure Ireland to monitor how traffic is using the new Salins Bypass. But the company assures the newspaper that they will not be keeping any data collected about the motorists using it. The same paper also reports on concerns about a proposal to electrify the 155-year-old clock on Nace Town Hall, a suggestion headlined as out of chime with some, including councillors. The Kildare Nationalist highlights the work of a former County Kildare councillor for the recent Daffodil Day fundraiser. Rainsford Hendy in Timolin pulled out all the stops and raised over €9,000 this year, earning himself a Daffodil Day community champion pin. And in the same paper, there's a substantial feature on how Kildare musicians are producing musical medicine to help people cope with grief during the pandemic. And now today's national leads. RTE and the Irish Times both lead with the guilty, guilty, guilty verdict against the policeman in the George Floyd murder case, described by President Biden as a giant step towards justice. The Irish Examiner's main story headlines the government plans that will have employees set to return to offices by September, while the Independent goes with the HSE in an urgent review of 1,500 child mental health cases due to fears of excessive medication. And that's a story we'll probably hear much of through the day. And that's it from the Daily Cast today. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilcullen Diary, and thank you for listening.